So praise God. It's another a great morning in the house of God this, this morning. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be a member of the body. You know, I've titled this Members of the Body. We are all well-fit stones. And you'll see where that subtitle comes as we get farther into this. But I want to talk today that, that uh, the church has a purpose. You know, there's this idea that uh, nowadays, especially in all these larger churches and, and young, immature Christians, they think that the church has been put in place to benefit the members of the church. There's this idea that I won't go to a church unless it has childcare and they have all these events and all these things going on. They got a great worship band because they go to church to be served when really the church of God is all about being a service to others. Your, your purpose in the church and the purpose of the church is not to serve its members, but to, to serve the kingdom of God. The ultimate goal is to, to grow and mature so that we can reach more people uh, for the gospel. The, the church is being built, and Jesus said he would build his church with the sole purpose of reaching more people for, for, for Jesus. And we are the body, but Jesus Christ is the head. You know, and, and you'll see as we go through the message today this, this uh, analogy of, of the church to a living body, where Christ is the head, and just like in our bodies, that is our head that makes the decisions. Where our head goes, our body follows. At least if your body's working correctly, that's how, how it works. And uh, you'll see that, that, that Christ is the head, and we are the body, and, and we are put in place not to do our will, to do whatever we want, not to have the next big program, not do the next big cool thing. Well, all those things are awesome. You know, it's really incredible that when you have the opportunity to, to feed the homeless or maybe people that are, that are needy when you can reach out and do that, or, or maybe we can come together, and, and as a church, we often come together and, and help each other out. You know, I'm so thankful that uh, John and me can be able to help us out this weekend and take our dogs. That's just an incredible thing. And that's what the body does. They work together to help each other, to help others. But that's not the sole purpose. That's a, it's an amazing thing. But ultimately, where the head goes, we go, and that's to reach the lost. And finally, the church is, is to, to, to operate as a single unit. I mean, I like we just said, what would be so weird if... Uh, uh, did you guys ever see... Oh, I forget what the name of that movie was. Me, myself, and Irene at the end when he's got split personalities and he's fighting himself and he's got his arm being pulled one way and he's going the other way. I mean, can you imagine if your body operated like that? We watch it on TV and it's actually an incredible comedy. It's hilarious because he's dragging himself along the floor and really not quite sure how he pulled that off acting because it, <laughs> it looked like he was really fighting himself. But could you imagine if your, your body actually worked that way? Could you imagine if you, I got to go to the bathroom, but your, your one foot wants to take you into the kitchen and your other foot wants to take you out in the yard and you just pee on the floor in the living room. I mean, there's this, it would be ridiculous, right? And that's, you know, the body of Christ works in the same way. We are one, one unit. We're operate as one. That's actually why, where we get leadership in the body. That's why we have pastors, apostles, and teachers, and uh, preachers. That's why we have these things. It's not so, and we'll look and we'll see, it's not that one of these positions is higher than the other. Being a pastor does not make somebody more valuable to the kingdom of God than being someone who helps clean the toilets. But there has to be structure, there has to be order, because if there wasn't, then you would have pee on the floor and one leg going one way and one leg going the other. And it's just not a pretty, pretty picture. There would just be chaos. So the first scripture, and we're going to spend some time in 1 Corinthians, uh, this passage here, but it's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13 will be the first one we look at. And Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, 
are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So as we start off, we see that, that Paul begins this analogy, that we are one body. And even in the, uh, as the body has, is one and it has many members, like we have one body, but we have feet, arms, legs. And I began to look into this as, as how complex the human body really is. It's amazing that it works as well. But there are over 12 major organ systems in the body. There's the circulatory system, which has your heart, your aortic chambers, your arteries, your veins, everything that gets blood to your whole body. We have a digestive system, uh, endocrine system, external structure, which is like your skin, your hair, and your nails, your, your uh, external sensory structure, your eyes, nose, ears, and lips. Yeah, you have an internal sensory structure as well, your optic nerves so you can see, immune system, lymphatic system, your muscular system, which is your muscular uh, muscles, ligaments, tendons. There's typically 320 separate muscle pairs in the adult human body. That's 640 muscles in your body. And they all work together to operate as one. It's, I mean, we can't, as humans, we can't build a machine that walks correctly on two legs. The, the, the fact that you can walk on two legs and do what we can do on two legs is absolutely astonishing. Have you ever seen some of the robots they try to make walk on two legs and how goofy they walk around? And how, we, we don't have the technology to make a machine do what our body can do, which is absolutely amazing. Our skeletal system, we have the bones and cartilage. The human, the human adult has 206 bones on average in their body, 206 different bones. As a child, your bone was some, you're born with somewhere between 300 to 350 individual bones, and they actually fuse together to make the larger bones that we see today. But that's just the incredible diversity of our body. Our reproductive system, our respiratory system, our urinary system, and our vestibular system, which is your, your inner ear and all that stuff and keeps you balanced. And, and the body is incredibly complex. And yet we find Paul using that as an analogy for the church. So we have to understand that the church is incredibly complex as well with all these different pieces of the body. And what's amazing to me is as if one of those pieces stops working, it affects everything. And we'll see that as we go on, and Paul uses that. And he also says that we are, before by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. And he's not talking about water baptism here. It's actually the, the Greek word there is baptizo, which means to, uh, to be dipped in, um, to be submerged, but it's actually to dip or sink into something. And when you get saved, you're actually, the Holy Spirit inside of you submerges you into the body of Christ, much like when they used to take um, a, a cloth and dip it in a vat of dye. When you put the cloth in and you bring it back out, the cloth is not the same. The cloth is now one with that dye. In the same way, when we're born, born again, we're born into the body of Christ. We become one with the body of Christ. And then it says, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And what Paul's trying to say is that it doesn't matter what background that you come out of, whether you're rich or poor, um, whether you are super intelligent and you're, you know, you're a rocket scientist, or whether, whether you're just the average guy who's, who's uh, you know, a janitor somewhere. There's no, uh, no, whether you're a homeless person on the street, once you become part of the body of the Christ, body of Christ. We're all the same. We're all dipped into that vat of dye and come out exactly the same. One body, one Christ, and we're to work together. 
And as one body, we have one purpose, and that's to fulfill the will of the head, which is Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's why we do the things that we do in this church. Even as a small church, that's why we go out and, and hand out flyers, because we're trying to reach people for the kingdom of God. That's why we did that uh, thing in the park when we first got started. It was to reach people. That's... Uh, when we go ahead, we're going to be doing that more often. As we come up with some of these holidays, I, I, we had such a success with that. We had 130 people from the community come out to, for our Easter egg hunt. That was our, our launch, our kickoff for this church, right before the, the Saturday before Easter Sunday. And it was an amazing thing. And we're going to continue to do stuff like that under the direction of the head, not so we can have a good time and eat hamburgers, but so we can reach people. That's the sole purpose that as we begin to get bigger and larger and, and as this house becomes to get too small, and you guys have all seen it. We're, we're adding people. We're growing. And we're going to continue to do so. And that's why we're going to get into a building. Not so we can say, hey, we have a building, but because we need a larger place to manage the resources God is giving us under his direction to reach more people. That's always the goal. And all of our future ministries in this church, the goal will always be to win the lost. When we do a, if we ever do a food ministry, a food pantry, we will, it's the ultimate goal to win the lost. I mean, that's how... That's actually how my wife was first introduced to the Living Hope Family Church in Tucson, was they had a food ministry. They were handing out food to, to the needy, and she was a single mom at the time. This is before I met her. And they knocked on her door and offered her some food. And you look back, and you see the fruit of this. I mean, she was a single mom living by herself. She met me. We got married, dragged me into the church, kicking and screaming. And then <clears throat> I gave my life to God. And now you see where we're at today, the fruit of those things. But the purpose wasn't so she had a full belly. The purpose was for the future vision of the kingdom of God. Amen? And then he says it again. Uh, Paul's talking to the Romans now. He says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to their grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. He who teaches, in his teaching. He who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. And do you know giving was a gift? That's kind of a, I find that interesting that you find in there. But to be able to give is actually a gift of God. It's, it's us being made in his image because God is a giver. He who leads with diligent and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, and it says that, oh, where is that? Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each and every one of us has a different gift to give to the body. We all have different things. And, we, and the reason they're different is, is because, can you imagine the mutation of our body that would be if we were all just a foot? Everything on our body was a foot. I mean, we laugh at it. It seems philly, silly. Philly. See? <laughs> no laughing from the peanut gallery. So, <laughs> it, it, it seems silly that the body would look like that. Have all one thing. If we were all fingers. The whole body was a tongue. I mean, it would just be, it would be ridiculous. But we all have each of our own different gifts, and it makes us effective as a body. And he begins to list off some different things. And he says that each of us has been given a gift according to grace. So if we're looking at the, the body analogy, some of us are feet, some of us are hands, some of us are eyes, ears. 
some of us are our skin, you know, each different parts that make the body function correctly. You know, and in a, in a church body, you have people that are incredibly gifted at, at loving people. You know, that's one of their gifts. They can make people feel welcome. You know, it talks about uh, uh, those who exhortation. He exhorts in his exhortation. That's lifting people up and, and making them uh, feel welcome. There's people that excel in, in uh, we call it the, the helps ministry, where they're just willing to do anything. There's people that can sing. There's people that are good at administration, website stuff, um, law, legal stuff. I mean, there's all these gifts that we've all been given that should be applied to the body, that can be used for the body. And he says, do it each according to, to uh, the grace that is given to you. God has given you the grace to perform these things. So if you've been gifted with the ability to sing, then you should be clamoring to, to use that gift for the body of Christ. You know, we have a, just me and the worship team now, but if anybody has any musical gifts, I would encourage you to, let's get going. We're going to need more people as we go. The days that I'm sick and I, I'm having a hard time singing like this morning, you know, that would be so helpful to have that. You know, as the, ch- the, the children's ministry grows, as we have more and more kids, I mean, I think there's, what, eight kids out there now? Eight, nine, ten? I mean, that's, a, that's really amazing. You know, we're going to be careful. They're going to overrun us out here. But, you know, we're going to start needing help in that area. And if, if you're gifted with kids, then, then you know, talk to, to Pastor Michelle or, or Kathy and say, hey, how can I help out? We have these lunches afterwards. If um, we bring, have food, and, and as we get bigger, it's going to become a burden on us, uh, Michelle and I, and, and Kathy and Joseph. We provide the food to do that all on our own. You know, if, if that's somewhere you can help out, you know, that's amazing. Fulfill your role in the body. We each have our own gifts and what we can do. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean you can only work in areas that you're gifted. You know, I've had it told to me once that talent is a dime a dozen, but it's faithful people that we're looking for. It's people that we can count on no matter what. You know, there's going to be days that we might ask you to do something that's not your gifting. You know, it's maybe we need someone to help out in children's church that day, and that may not be particularly be your gifting, but you know, that's sometimes we just have to step up in obedience, being honoring to God in all that we do, having a servant's heart and do those things. It's faithfulness that truly matters. And I thank God I see the same faces every Sunday. I know we have faithful people here. And that's just amazing and, and, and warms my heart in such a way that you guys don't even understand. <clears throat> Amen. It's actually a Pastor Andy Elms. He has a church in, in uh, England. Uh, it's called, what is church is called, Joseph? Family church, yeah, just family church. And uh, he actually, part of their ministry is that you're not part of any ministry, I think it's more than six months. Every six months, you're moved to a different ministry to help out somewhere else, just so you get experience in different areas, but also so we don't become stale and latched on to what we're doing. When we, you know, we, it's kind of like the, uh, and I, I don't see it here, which is great, but a lot of churches, you know, there's somebody, they sit in one place and that's it. They become stale stagnant in that place. We're not going to sit anywhere else. And, and that's how it is. And they refuse to move forward. And that's kind of what that is, is he kind of pulls people out. And, but, you know, it's great to have people that have servants' heart and they're obedient. And they're willing to do those kind of things. Next is uh, the next part of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, 12, 20 through 26, as we move on through this passage. It says, 
But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seems to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, there's no member, there's no function of the body that can operate on its own without other gifts. You know, as we look at, even if I look at a small, I mean, we're, we seem to, you know, you look at this church and it seems pretty small and it seems like uh, there's not much that has to be done. But for a Sunday morning, the amount of preparation that goes in to have things ready to do a service is quite amazing. And I could not do it by myself. You know, we have help from my wife and my children and Kathy and, Kathy and Joseph are, are here regularly helping me out as, uh, as uh, elders and senior members in the church. And, and I couldn't do it on my own. I could not function as a pastor by myself. You know, and there's no, there's no uh, a position in the body that could function on its own. From the highest, you know, to, to someone like the pastor who's heading the church to, to someone that, that cleans the toilets. You know, the people that, my kids, as they help keep the house clean, you know, that's just as important as what I do. It is, it's, you know, uh, doing the music in the morning so you guys have the words to sing is just as important as me, as me up here singing for you guys. And, you know, it says the, this is the, the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. I can't say to the person doing the music, I have no need of you, because we have a need for that. And none of those things could operate on their own either, because the person running the music couldn't just go out in the street and set up the, uh, set up the projector without the rest of the body working together as one. It would just be silly. You know, without the rest of the body, even the pastor, without someone to preach to and lead, I'm standing out in the cold. The body works together and we need each other. And what I find is amazing, as he talks about here, is that it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. We actually bestow more abundant honor. And, you know, the one that always comes up in churches is the ones that cleans the toilets, the one that cleans the bathroom. That has got to be, uh, you know, the, the least desirable job. I mean, who wants to go in, especially as we get bigger? Can you, and we're going to need people to do this at some point. But when you have 100 people running through a restroom, it's not the best job in the world to go in there and clean it up afterwards, you know. So I'm taking volunteers now when we get there. Anybody is? <laughs> Monique volunteers, John. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there's going to be a time. But what the Bible says is that those members that have the least desirable jobs are actually have more honor. We're to give them more honor. We're supposed to thank them and respect them. But more so... God honors them for what they do because the positions that are out in front receive as part of being out in front. That's kind of part of the reward is, is that you get to be in that position. But the people that work quietly in the shadows, you know, we're to give them an abundance of honor. You know, and Jesus said that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, so anytime that you're asked to do something, if it doesn't seem to be or you, you, you are, you know, God's telling you to do something, the Holy Spirit's inspiring you to say, hey, go ahead and help out. When it doesn't seem like it's the greatest job, you are receiving a great reward in heaven as well as, you know, being honored by the body. And as the body, we should honor each and every single one of those, those members. 
And they're so important. We'll go back to this, to this, the, the one that does the toilets. You know, that's such an important uh, aspect of the church. Did you know that in the church today that the number one reason why a person will stay at a church or leave at a church is what the bathrooms look like? one of the, the biggest decision makers when they walk in at the bathrooms look like garbage it could be the best preaching the best worship the best everything but if you walk in and there's poop on the walls you're probably not staying right <laughs> you know so you know that's that's how important that job is and have has anybody here worked in a restaurant before anybody you remember when you worked in a restaurant do you remember the dishwasher we used to call it working in the tank back there in the bank and I, I did that's the first job I ever had was got a job as a dishwasher but uh, not the most glorious job in the world at all it's actually quite disgusting back there half-eaten food coming through but this dishwasher the lowest paid job in the place almost always the lowest paid job in the place they have the least respect the least responsibility the least everything they can shut a restaurant down because if the dishes don't get washed, there's no clean dishes to put food on, it'll literally shut a restaurant down if the dishwasher quits. It's one of the least presentable jobs, but it's still so incredibly important. It's not any less important than the server or the cooks or any of those things. Each job in the church is extremely important. And as he says here, that if, if we operate as one, when one succeeds, we all succeed. You know, when one is successful, and that's where he says, that we have, there's no division in the body as we honor and respect each other no matter what position we, we do, what job or role we function as in the body. That we care for one another no matter what each, other's do, each other does. And if one member suffers, all the members suffers with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, as one body, we operate as one body. You know, when you stub your toe, your whole body feels that, you know? And, and uh, you know, when you taste something awesome, your whole body feels that. You know, it's the same thing in the body. We rejoice with one another, we love one another, and we hurt with one another. And then in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, he says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even in Christ. And I'm going to stop right there before we go any further, because I want to get this out in the open yeah, as we're a young church and we'll always talk about this. It's speaking the truth in love. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, well, brother, I'm telling you this in love, and they proceed to be a royal pain in the butt, they proceed to be a royal jerk and just cut you down? That's not what this is about. Speaking the truth in love has nothing to do with coming up to somebody and using it as an excuse to tear somebody down. Because if you say it in love then you're allowed to tell somebody all the terrible things they're doing or just make them feel terrible and horrible and guilty. What speaking the truth in love is, is when someone's struggling, you walk up to them and say, I want to tell you the truth in love, that you are victorious in Christ, that you are an overcomer in Christ, that nothing, no weapon form that has come against you will prosper, and you're going to get through this, and we're going to help you through this. That's speaking the truth in love. Tell them that they are forgiven, that they are beloved by God, and that we love them. That is speaking the truth in love. Amen? <clears throat> then he says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You know, as Christ lives his life through us, we're to grow up into him. We're supposed to, to grow up into the stature of maturity that is Jesus Christ. When you get saved, you don't know who you are in Christ, and you're still down here. A little bit of the world's pulling you down. You're doing silly things. But as you grow and mature, we're supposed to grow up and live more and more like Christ. Amen? And it says, And from the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. 
according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You know, as we grow and mature in Christ, we actually grow and mature the body. And each piece, each, each one of us are being held together by what every joint supplies. In this case, is actually speaking of the love that we have for one each other holds us together and bonds us together. The love of Christ bonds us together according to the proper working of each individual part. You know, the proper working, in one of those cases, speaking the truth in love, if you're doing it as exhortation and telling them and reminding them who they are in Christ and love, that's the proper working of an individual part. If you use the, this is the truth in love, to begin to tear somebody down and talk terrible to them, that's the improper working of an individual part. But when we work together properly, we fulfill our role the church grows stronger and stronger. It is built up, and it begins to invite more people in. As we become bigger and larger and stronger, we can reach more people. The body begins to grow and begins to become more effective. And I remember <clears throat> reading, I was uh, reading the Old Testament just a few days ago, actually. Uh, I think it was last week. And it's talking about uh, the tabernacle. And this is in Exodus, and it starts in, I think, like, chapter 24 or something like that, 23. But have you guys ever read when Moses goes up to the mountain and God begins to give him instructions for the tabernacle? I mean, it's like six chapters of, of detailed instructions and all these different things. And, and you got to wonder, is Moses, I mean, we know that Moses had his failings. He murdered a guy. He wasn't, well, you know, he stuttered. If you read the Bible, it says he, he, he had a speech impediment. He had trouble speaking. And then God says, this is what I want you to do. And he leaves out this detailed list of incredibly ornate things of all these different, uh, uh, see, there was gold and silver and bronze work, stones and settings, carved wood. There was all these, the table and the utensils and gold lampstands, the altar of incense, priestly garments, the veal that stood between the, the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. I mean, we have all these things that had to be done and they're all incredibly detailed. Matter of fact, it's incredibly difficult to read because you're like, as your head starts spinning, you know, it's kind of, it's also in the, you know, the Old Testament you're reading, so-and-so begat so-and-so. Your eyes ever gloss over reading those? Mine do. But, you know, you read this, and I'm, and I'm like, man, what is the, the idea here? Why is this so detailed? It's funny, when you read the temple, the instructions for the temple are incredibly detailed, too. And, and they tell you, too, they tell it to you twice, like back-to-back. But, so I'm looking at this, and, and, Moses, who's leading these people, has got this instructions of this incredible difficult stuff. I mean, we're talking master craftsmen, people that are gifted in these things. But God takes care of them. God sends them people to fulfill those roles. These are members of the body that have these roles. And it says, now Basilel and Oholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. You know, when we operate in the body, we need to perform in accordance with what the Lord has commanded. You know, it's not for our own personal gain to do what we want, but what God wants. And then it says, Moses called Basilel and, oh, I have no idea how to pronounce these, Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, and everyone whose heart stirred to him to come to work to perform it. You know, your heart should be being stirred 
to do the work of the Father. Your heart should be being stirred to be investing in this body to, to help grow into, to, like I said, ultimately to reach the lost. Our goal is to win people to the Lord. But it says Moses called these guys and then every skillful person who's heart stirred to come work and perform it. You know, it's always been that God provides a vision and we have a vision here at Living Hope Family Church to reach the city of Marana. And then he sends people to fulfill that vision. You know, if you're here this morning, it's not by chance. You had a divine appointment to be part of this church so that you can actually make an impact on this city. There are people out here that want what you have. There are people that want that hope and the peace and just forgiveness that you have. And we have the opportunity to reach that and give that to them. Amen? And now for the next couple of verses, I want you guys to bear with me for a moment because you'll, you'll get the point of why I'm bringing this stuff up. But So just bear with me. But we're going to look at 1 Kings 6 through 7. It says, The house, while it was being built, was built of stone, prepared at the quarry, and there was neither hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built. So what we have here is Solomon is building the temple. Um, David wasn't allowed to, to build the temple because of some of the sins he committed. So his son, Solomon, began to build the temple. So uh, the foundation and the walls uh, that was built of stone were these massive giant stones that were to be put together for the walls. Now, the, the incredible thing about this is these stones, because Solomon felt that because what this temple was used for, he didn't want any, any axes or hammers or chisels going at the side of the temple of God. This was a place to be honoring to God. He didn't want that kind of stuff going on. You know, for its purpose, he thought that it was, it was important that it stay uh, serene and holy and not have all this work going on. So these, these stones, and they're massive, are being down at the rock quarry. And once they are made there, and they're brought up to the site, they can't be chiseled anymore. They can't be worked. So these guys made these stones perfectly the right size to fit as the temple walls and the temple, you know, in the temple there as it's being built. And I was talking to uh, Pastor Rick Moody, he's one of the assistant pastors of Living Hope Family Church, and he's been to Israel, and he's looking at the wall around the temple, and he said that people go there, and these stones, they're massive, but they're fitted together in such a way that people write prayers on a piece of paper, and they can barely fit them in the cracks between the stones. There's actually no mortar or anything held that hold these, these walls together. They're perfectly fit, and not even on site. They did this at the quarry. So here's a, a small picture of it. As we got, I mean, you see the size of these stones, and they all fit perfectly when they were made. And it's actually amazing how they did this as they, they drilled holes and, and jammed a stone wedge into them. And then they poured water on the wedges, and as the wedges absorbed the water, they spread and split the stone open, and they created these perfect stones that were measured beforehand and they were made correctly with simple tools and they fit perfectly so that you can't even fit the, uh, the thinnest knife between how they put together. And like I said, we'll, we'll get to why I'm getting at this, but these stones, just remember, they fit together perfectly from where they're brought. They were, once they got to the temple, no more working on them. And then if we look at Exodus 20, 25, it says, If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And in Deuteronomy 27, 6, the God says again, You shall build the altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer on it burnt offerings to the Lord your God. So once again, we have 
these stones that, that could have no work done them, no iron on them, no work done to them. Once the stones were found and placed, they were perfect. They were fitted together. You know, and, and you know, what God was looking for was not something to show the glory of man. Look how pretty of an altar I can make with all my fancy tools. He wanted people to build these altars and focus on him. So he would only accept uncut stones. He was far more concerned with them honoring him than honoring their handiwork. And truthfully, this is religion versus Christianity. Religion is all about polishing yourself. It's all about what are the things that I can do to make myself look good for God so that God will like me? What are the things that I can do if I, if I live this way, if I walk this way, if I wear these clothes, if I say these things, then I am holy. As the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Jews of the time, that's what they were doing. But Christianity is different because God takes you as you are God meets you where you're at, and he begins to change you, and he takes you how you are. He doesn't have to make changes to make you holy. He actually, or he doesn't want you to make changes. He'll actually make the changes for you. He gives you a new spirit. Ultimately, religion is just polishing a turd, right? But Christianity is taking what you are and making you brand new. You are no longer the turd. You are a brand new creation, and instead of being polished on the outside, the inside would begin to shine forward and shine out. So what am I talking about all these uncut stones for and these perfectly sized stones? If we look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, it says, In coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You guys are living stones to build the church of God. You know, you don't have to be polished and, and do all this work on the outside yourself to be fit into the body. God meets you where you are. He changes you on the inside. He makes you a new creation. And you fit perfectly into the body just as you are. There's no need to be no mortar and you fit so tightly in your position where you're built up that you can't even fit uh, a blade between the, the, the other stones. We work together, we fit together and we don't have to, to, you know, we don't bring you into the body and begin to hammer on you with a chisel or an axe so that you fit in, but you fit in where God has made you to fit in. Amen? And then we find that Jesus is the living cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building when they built houses out of stones was the most important stone. It's the one that, that laid the, the design. It's what you built everything off of. And it says that Jesus is a living stone. And actually, if you look at Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, it says, So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then Matthew 16 through 18, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, you'll remember, and he says, Peter, who do they say that I am? Oh, you're, the, you're Elijah, reincarnate. Or, and he says, well, who do you say I am? And he says, he says, you are the Son of God, the Christ. And he says to Peter, and I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's not saying that Peter's the rock that he'll build this church. The rock that he'll build the church on is the fact that he is the Son of God, the Christ. You know, saying out loud that the fact that it, uh, trusting that is who he is, is the rock that he's built. That the, the church is built on, knowing who Jesus is. And he is the chief cornerstone. 
And we are those living stones, just like the one in the temple, that are butted up against him and butted up against one another, fitting perfectly, just as you are, having a role to fill. Amen? And then in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11, Paul says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we are God's building of fitted stones. It says it's here, you know, we are, we are God's building. He actually says we're God's field. If you read further up in this passage, it's when people were claiming, I'm of Apollo, no, I'm of Paul, and they were having these factions being, being built as they were trying to grasp onto these men. And Paul says, no, you're not of me, you're not of Apollo, you're of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation, and we are just building on it. He said, I planted, Apollo watered. But what he's saying is that we are building a building of living stones, and you are God's building. And Paul would begin to find people and place these stones where they would fit. As he began to rise up Timothy and Titus as pastors, he was placing these stones where they would fit in the body. And in the same way, we have our roles to fill in the body, being careful to remember that Christ is the foundation always. And he says, we're to be careful how we build. We put Christ first and the kingdom of heaven always first. And that's what we'll always do here at Living Hope Family Church is put him first. Amen. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, this is a verse that a lot of people struggle with because we have these two competing uh, views, uh, not so much in the church, but uh, actually in the church. We have this works-based mentality and this grace-based mentality. And the truth is that we are created for good works, but it's not good works that saves us. Uh, and another way that, that uh, you know, when James said that you show me, show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. James wasn't saying that your works is what saves you. What he's saying is that if you have faith as a result, good works will come out of it. So it's not what we do or our works that makes us presentable to God, but it's God makes us presentable, and as a result, we have good works. And it turns out here, it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. God created you. He formed you as a living stone for good works. We have a purpose. You know, like I said earlier, we don't come to church to warm chairs. We don't come to church to, to hang out with cool people on Sunday. And that's an awesome benefit that we get to build a relationship with one another. We get to know each other. But ultimately, we are a part of this church for good works in Christ Jesus. And he actually says, God prepared them beforehand so that we would walk in them. God had a plan for your life well before you ever met me. Before you met each other. God had a plan for you and a purpose for you. He knew you in your mother's womb even before you in your mother's womb. He has a plan for your life. And truthfully, there are people that you will have an impact on that I can never have an impact on. And there's people that I can have an impact on that you will never have the opportunity to have an impact on. That's why we work together as one body to fulfill the will of God. We all have our parts to play. You know, and there's... Uh, the truth is we can't reach everyone on our own. We have to work together. And ultimately, there's people that if that you were destined to reach, that God had a plan for you to reach, to touch, that if we don't walk in our calling, that we'll never be reached. 
I mean, we, that's, that's our, our responsibility to be obedient to God. And then in Isaiah 43, 7, he says, Everyone who is called by my name, this is God speaking, and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. You know, it is, it is amazing to me that God created us for his glory. I think about that, and it absolutely blows my mind that, that God created me not only to honor him and worship him and have fellowship with him, but for his glory. We bring glory to God when we, when we, we work as we are intended to work. We bring God glory because he made us and he called us by his name. He, he formed us into these living stones, as Peter said. And when we operate in the place that we're supposed to be operating in, as we fulfill our calling, then we bring God glory. And I find that absolutely astonishing and absolutely amazing that God would think so much of us, that he would use us for that, that he would, uh, you know, when I look at my life, I look at all the flaws that I have and the places where I don't measure up or where I have weaknesses. And I wonder, how could God use somebody like me? You know, how could God use somebody that did these things? How could God use somebody that lived this life? But I thank God that he had a plan for me. He had a plan for my life. And it was for his glory. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's like Paul said that, that when I am weak, then I am strong. It's in our weaknesses that God can actually be seen. You know, there's a lot of things that I am naturally talented at that, that God has given me the ability to do. And I understand now that God has given me those abilities but it's so easy for me to, to uh, think that, oh, it's me that's doing it. I'm, I'm good at these things, so I'm just doing it. And honestly, to tell you the truth, that there was, that really was a struggle for me as I was younger to, to, uh, to rely on God because I was very good at a lot of stuff, and I just thought I could do it on my own. I didn't have to trust God. When I was in school, I didn't have to trust God to help me through class because school was easy for me. You know, when I played sports, uh, when I played football, I was good at it. I didn't have to trust God for football. I was just good at it. You know, there's all these things that I've been good at. And then one day, God's like, all right, you want to give it a shot on your own? Go for it. And my world crashed. I mean, I was always good at work. I was always good at these things. Next thing you know, I'm filing bankruptcy. My marriage almost collapses. I mean, there's all these things. And I began to realize it. Yeah, I do need to rely on God. And he has formed me for a purpose. And when I walk in that purpose, he will use me. But it's in my weak areas that I'm the strongest because I realize that I have to rely on God because I can't do that on my own. And now I understand, thank God, with a little wisdom and some rough times that uh, even in the areas that I'm strong in, I still need to, to, to rely on God because he's the one that's given me those abilities. Amen. And finally, the last verse we're going to look at today is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is when Paul's in prison, says, Implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Are you guys noticing a, a theme here? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You know, there's one will of God. 
And we're all in this body to, to make sure that the will of God happens on, in, on earth as it is in heaven, just like Jesus told us to pray. But, you know, this Ephesians uh, 4, this whole first part of Ephesians 4, and it continues on, is dealing with the unity of the body. You know, and this, this call here, it says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, was a call to walk in unity with the, bo- with the body, to walk in your gifts and your roles in the body, but to walk in in unity, and that's the the whole idea of Ephesians four is that that purpose to, to walk in unity, to build the church, and to reach the lost. And we do this by fulfilling our individual callings. I was called to be a pastor, and I've been obedient in that. And some of you may be called to do the very you may be called to be missionaries, you may be called to be pastors, you may be called to to help work in children's church, you might be called to clean the toilets. Matter of fact, Monique says John already was called to clean the toilets. But <laughs> But uh, that's how we fulfill our individual calling, to build up the church. And the truth is the body is the bride of Christ. You guys have read in the Bible and refers to the body as the bride of Christ. You know, the, the body is Christ's wife. And John, how important is Monique to you? How important is your wife to you, George? And yours, I mean, we understand that our spouses are incredibly important to us. And that's how the body is to, to God to Jesus. The body is that important. It's important that the body be honored and respected, but it's also important that we do our part, fulfill our role, that it reaches its full potential. Amen? Amen.